didn't communicate to Bobby this morning, so you're going to hear our version of Power in the Blood. <laughs> Ready, Ezra? This is the one we've sung at home quite a bit in the past. So Ezra's going to join me today. Going to sing? Sing? Sing loud? Remember, you got to hear me too, though. You, they want to hear me and you. reading today we're going to read to you twice from two different versions because when we were looking at it we liked them both so psalms 119 verses 49 and 50 i will be reading from the new king's james version and nancy will be reading from the new international readers version okay psalms 119 verses 49 and 50 remember the word the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope this is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. 
And then Psalm 119:49 and 50 says, Remember what you have said to me. You have given me hope. Even when I suffer, I am comforted because you promised to keep me alive. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Oh, I suppose I gotta turn this on. How do I sound now? Not at all. Not at all. How about now? How does that sound? All right. That's better. Let's, Let's try that, huh? So I am what they call a test pilot. Nice to see a lot of faces out there in the audience. In the congregation, I should say, not an audience. You're not an audience. All right, before I begin, let's bow our heads one more time for another word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I want to say thank you for the wonderful words of life you've given us. I pray that you would empty me of myself so I can be filled with you, so that the words you have in store may be brought forth. Bless us now, we pray. And we ask that you would rebuke Satan's power to distract each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Your words have given me life. I love that part. This morning, we're going to take a look at the story of Gideon from just a little different perspective. How many of you are familiar with the story of Gideon? Show of hands. All right, maybe a third of you, half of you, I don't know. It's a really neat story. If you want to get ready, go ahead and get your Bibles out. We're going to turn to the book of Judges, chapter 6. Judges, chapter 6. And for the sake of time, I'm going to give you a synopsis of what happened before and then a little bit uh, after where we're going to read. So we find ourselves in the book of Judges, which starts right after the Israelites have entered the promised land. Okay? And they were supposed to defeat the inhabitants of the land there and push them out, kick them out, and destroy them, right? Because they were not so nice of people. All right? But unfortunately, some of the people were left behind or left, stayed in the land. And over time, their practices started infiltrating the Israelite nation, okay? Israel started to begin to be unfaithful to God. This is God's chosen people we're talking about, the Israelites, the Jewish nation, right? He gave them warning after warning to stop what they were doing and come back to him, all right? We start seeing this pattern happen in the book of Judges. The Israelites have a period of peace and prosperity when they follow God. Then they start drifting away and things infiltrate Then they end up having, God kind of lets things go uh, as far as his protection over the people. They start to suffer at the hand of these other nations, all right? They're oppressed. Finally, the Jews say, hey, I'm kind of sick of this. I like the way it was when we had peace and prosperity. So they start reaching back out to God. And then they have another period of prosperity, okay? So this is where we're at. At this point in chapter 6, the Jews, the Israelites, have just been through a 40-year period 
of peace and prosperity. That's like half a lifetime, right? For us anyway, of peace and prosperity. But then things start creeping in again, and God's protection is brought back here, it's drawn back, and they start being oppressed by the Midianites. Now, I found it interesting that the Midianites were actually relatives of the Jews. I don't know how many of you knew that. I did not realize it, I guess. They were, uh, the Midian was actually a son of Abraham by his second wife, Keturah. So here we are. The Midianites are oppressing the Jews. What they're doing is anytime there's a crop that's grown or food that's produced, the Midianites and the Amalekites and some of these other tribes come in and just gobble everything up. They steal everything, all their food, all their livestock, all right? So they really are impoverished, the Jews are. Well, this goes on for a period of seven years. How many of you would like to deal with that for seven years? Somebody coming in and robbing your pantry every time you go to the grocery store for seven years. I would think after about a month of that, I get pretty tired of it, right? Seven years they do this, okay? And finally they start calling out to God and saying, Hey, what's going on? Why are you doing this? All right, they cry out to God. He hears their cries and their pleas for help. And he sends them a prophet who says, You know, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I've done all these miracles and things. So why are you acting the way you are? But he does something about this when he hears their pleas. Their pleas do not fall on deaf ears. Let's pick it up in verse 11 of Judges chapter 6. Okay? Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out from Egypt? And now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Uh, Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O Lord, How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. The Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So we meet our hero for the day, our judge of Israel, Gideon. Where do we find him? We find him in the wine press. And what is he doing? He's threshing wheat. Remember, we said that the Midianites were coming and stealing all the food and the crops. So picture with me in your mind's eye, okay? He's on his father's property. And he's kind of a smart guy, though, right? Because he's threshing wheat in the wine press. 
And I imagine this being kind of a thing dug out in the ground. I don't exactly know what they look like, but a place out of the line of sight from everybody else, right? So he's doing his thing, threshing the wheat, and I imagine him every once in a while taking a peek up over the walls, over the, the hill or whatever, to see if anybody's out. Nope, coast is clear. Okay, let's keep going. He's threshing some more wheat. And then all at once, in one time he pops his head up, oh, there's somebody there, the angel of the Lord. We understand that to be Jesus. And he's sitting there by the tree. And what does he say? What does the angel of the Lord say to him? The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. How many of you find this ironic? You mighty man of valor. Yet he's hiding in the wine press. It's, it's clever, though, isn't it? Because it, nobody was there to steal his food. So Gideon, at this point, dialogues with God, right? He said, if the, if the Lord is really with us, then why is all this stuff happening? All right. It was interesting as I was studying that it points out here, he asks why God has forsaken his people. But in the commentary, it points out that the people were the ones that had forsaken God, which caused God's inability to protect them. Does that make sense? So Gideon, at this point, God is trying to call him to lead his people back and to destroy the enemy. But Gideon, like many a good salesman, tries to talk his way out of it, right? How many of you have ever been voluntold to lead out in a project? All right. And oftentimes we say, ah, man, I know you want me to lead vacation Bible school, but I'm sure they could do a much better job or somebody else, right? Whatever the case is. I can relate to that. I'm sure I've tried talking my way out of the things before. All right. Um, he reminds God that he himself, that Gideon himself, is the least in his family, and that his family is the weakest in the whole tribe of Israel. So why would you want to call me? But remember what Jesus just said to him. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. All right? Jesus assures him that he will be with him. So at this point, Gideon asks for some signs to confirm that, yes, God wants him to do this thing and lead the people, which God obliges. All right? He still isn't sure, so he asks for a few more signs. And finally, Gideon gets the message, yes, I want you to go and defeat the Midianites. So he accepts his call, and he starts his work by tearing down the local altar of Baal. All right, the story goes on that the people rallied behind him. There was some conversation about, well, why did he do this thing? But the people rallied behind him, and he gathers an army of 32,000 men. All right? They go to do battle. And God says, hang on, Gideon. You've got too many people. So they weed out 22,000, leave them with 10,000. God says, not so fast, Gideon. You still have too many people. So by the 
time everything is said and done and everybody has gone home that needed to go home, they have 300 men to defend or defeat this whole huge army of the Midianites and the Amalekites and a few other tribes. But in one night, Gideon, the one who was hiding in that wine press, the one who he thought was least in his family, who was least in all of Israel, defeated the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east, and leads God's people back into a saving and strong relationship with him. God called Gideon a mighty man of valor. and Those words gave him the power to go and do what he did, gave him the authority to command that army, and he was transformed from a weakling hiding, in the, hiding into a bold warrior by the words of Jesus. How many of you have felt like Gideon before? Felt like maybe you're not strong enough to carry on what God's called you to? Or don't think you have a purpose? Don't think you have whatever it is? You're feeling pretty down or discouraged. I'm sure we've all dealt with discouragement or times where we have felt weak. Maybe life has been a bit overwhelming. Or you've dealt with oppression. Somebody's being mean to you at work. Whatever the case is. God's word is power. By his words, this world was created. His words are power. Let's take a look at a few verses today that show us what God says of us and how that gives us power like Gideon. Remember that we do not live by bread alone, but what? By every word. Turn with me to Jeremiah. Get your fingers ready because we're going to be doing some flipping through the Bible here as we go. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. That may be familiar to some of you. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. I first came upon this thought when I went down to men's retreat, and it just has stuck with me ever since. So I had to, I had to share it, this message this morning. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. That says, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's what God thinks of you. He wants to give you hope and a future. How many of you can say amen to that? Amen. Turn a few pages over to Jeremiah 31, verse 3. I love this. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. How cool is that? God loves me. God loves you with an everlasting love. That means there's no end to it. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how the world sees you. God loves you. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 8. 
We're going to spend a little time there, a couple verses there. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 15 and 16. I love reading these wonderful words of life from the Bible. There's so many things in there. Romans 8, verses 15 and 16. That says... For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How does God see you? As a child. How many of us care about our children? Of course we do. We love our kids. God loves you so much. He calls you a child. You are adopted. And then in verse 37, we're told that yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It doesn't matter what trial you're going through. God calls you a conqueror through Christ. Let's travel over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, where we'll start. Here's a couple here in Ephesians that we'll look at. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 19 through the end of that chapter. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit." We're no longer strangers and foreigners, but what? Citizens. How many of you enjoy being a citizen? A citizen gives you certain rights, correct? Enables you to do a lot of things and have freedoms here in the country. Citizen, you are all citizens of heaven. And that should send chills down your spine and make you, give you goosebumps. That, that's just a pretty amazing feeling. How about going over to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And you could continue on in looking at the whole armor of God that is supplied for you. You don't have to do a lot of work to get that, that armor it's supplied for you. But the thing I wanted to point out here. Be strong. You are strong. God says you are strong. So when you're feeling a little weak, just remember those promises, those wonderful words of life. He also gives us mighty weapons, spiritual weapons, right, to fight. How about, let's turn over to, I only have a few more. 1 Peter chapter 2. 
First Peter chapter two and verse nine. You all see where we're going with these things? Wonderful words of life, how Jesus, how God sees you and what he thinks of you. First Peter chapter two and verse nine says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are chosen. You are special in his sight. Never forget that. He wants to bring us all out of this dark world into his marvelous light. Second Corinthians, I'll just say this one because I think I have it memorized. Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. If you've felt the weight of sin in your life, and if that's something that's been just bothering you, remember, if, you, if any man be in Christ, if anyone, there's no list of things you have to do to become a new creation. You just have to simply... Be in Christ. Accept Christ as your Savior. You are a new creation. From Peter, turn over to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are what? Forgiven you for his name's sake. You are forgiven. Amen. Turn over one more chapter to chapter 3 in the first two verses. Behold what matter of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Amen. We are the children, his children. We're going to end with looking at uh, these verses. Go back to Ephesians. We'll end on this. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. We read this this morning, didn't we, in Sabbath school? Ephesians 1 and verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. He has redeemed you through his rich grace. How many of you can say amen to these things? In your bulletin, you had a really long piece of paper, and I'm sorry, it was a little awkward to put it in there. These are all the verses and then some. The words of life that we just talked about. I encourage you to take these and read these, memorize these, so that when the devil's got you feeling down or discouraged or the world's got, you know, chasing you off, you can remember what the God is saying about you. I'm going to share a song with you here.
keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know
spoke, God spoke powerful words to Gideon. And it gave him the power to defeat the enemy army and to rally the nation of Israel back into a relationship with him. We just went through many powerful promises and words of what God says to you and about you. I encourage you to read them and memorize them and take them with you and remember how God sees you. We all face challenges in life and discouragement, but his words bring us comfort, healing, and transformation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the words that you have for us, how you see us. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the world sees us. It matters about what you think of us. Help us to realize that. Help us to take that with us everywhere we go and share that promise with the world. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.